Warning, Game State contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Thank you for playing. Sorry, didn't mean to frighten anyone. You're a bit late for that! This will be a game night to remember. You'll be the greatest starfighter ever! That was a game, Centauri. Game? You may have thought it was a game, but it was also a test. We don't need a board and we do not need pieces. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Fun. Fireball, the son of a bitch. Hello and welcome to Game State, Rayman Digital's exclusive tabletop gaming show. If you're listening live, you better hope you are. You can take the show on the go wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can access all of our shows on demand via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just search Game States. I liked it. I was saying that was good. He nailed it. First yeah. try. Sam, good job. That was really good. Thanks, buddy. We Who should trade off. Yeah. Trade off from time to time. I think we need to. I'll do it next time. Yeah. I'll the find a central version from Charlie. Yeah. I did. Ooh. Low and welcome. Throw like a little State. Barry Manilow <laughs> in the background. Stripper DJ version. Which one of us has the sexiest voice? Let's find out. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> Answer 0% anybody. I don't know, ladies. Which one does? I... My butthole. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're Game State. Welcome, everybody. Sam, thank you very much for taking over the intro here. Uh, yeah, so, hey, we're back. Uh, we we lost two shows, which was neat. So that was kind of fun. So apologies for the extended absence there, everybody. But basically just imagine the best podcast you've ever heard. Literally burning ever. in the fires of hell. Yeah. <laughs> it was now too this, good. Now, this podcast here, this episode, it is not the greatest <laughs> podcast in the world instead this is just a tribute oh, God. you see the bob ross meme for that <laughs> no there's one that's um jack black aaron post and i heard overlapped on bob ross going this is not the greatest painter in the world this is just a tribute <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know jack black is doing like weird stuff on on youtube right now how do you he, mean weird uh so he has a channel called jablinski games where he, he released an announcement, I think it was last year. It was like, hey, this is where, like, oh, we're going to do gameplay. We're going to do, like, we're going to do streaming. It's going to be crazy. He released one, uh, and then he said it was, like, every Friday there's going to be a new video. He released that intro video for his channel, <laughs> got something like a million subs immediately, yeah. didn't release a, a show for a month. <laughs> <laughs> and then the show that he did drop out was him taking his kid to the Pinball Hall of Fame, which was really cool. But not at all what he said the yeah. was going to be. He, got distra- he seems like a guy who gets distracted quickly. I think he easily. might be smoking weed again. Yeah. Is what I think might be happening there. So back when I used to do um Let's Plays. Yep. I, I was trying to be family friendly. Uh-huh. And my intro video, and I decided to keep it for my channel, was <laughs> no. explaining that I was going to try to be family friendly. And I was playing some flight sim. Approximately 30 seconds after saying I was going to be family friendly, I crashed on the ground. It was like, well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I decided I was going to leave that. That's great. Oh, dear. It's well, got to learn. I mean, in, in a G-rated film nowadays, you can get away with like, at you least can get three one. F-words. You can get one. <laughs> you can sneak one into it. Well, only if Steven Spielberg. Yeah, true. He can pull it off. No, I think, um, I think PG-13, you can get one. And in this show, it's been slowly creeping up. I, I mean, think that we've been pretty nice with our curse words lately. You think so? Maybe. We'll see. Now I mean, that it's I mean, in the back of our minds. F bombs barely bother people anymore. That's fair. Like they're almost an adjective now. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 
We uh, have some like news and stuff, right? Yeah, we have a lot of news. Okay. News it up. We are okay. So okay, so we got like two types of news. We got Andrew news, and then Charlie, you came back from like some. I've been on sabbat- sabbatical for yeah, a while out in the gaming all world. The, the cool shit. You traveled the country. I did. I went to one, two, three, at least four hundred <laughs> different conventions. Over the yeah, last went month. to a few of them. It's been a long month. Yeah, uh, most recently you went to Gamma. We'll talk about that in quite a bit because there oh, are yes. a few news topics here that will bring Gamma into the flow. But first, we're going to start off with some juicy, juicy drama. Like I was, I was compiling news notes for today. Uh, all of this will be courtesy of TabletopWire.com. Go check them out. Support them on Patreon. They're pretty great. Can you say juicy one more time? Juicy. juicy. Thank you. Juicy. Not you, Charlie. Juicy. All right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and it's just scandals. It's just, it's just he said, she said lawsuits back and forth. It's, it's awesome. Starting things off, Martin Wallace and Eagle Griffin Games finally settle a longstanding dispute over Age of Steam. Uh, of course, tabletopwire.com reports that game designer Martin Wallace and Eagle Griffin Games have come to uh, have agreed to terms to settle a long-standing dispute over the rights to Age of Steam. Uh, Eagle has recently kickstarted a new deluxe version of the game, so this is why this is back in in, in the limelight here. So, according to the statement, uh, Martin Wallace, big old dip list of bullet points, totally says that uh, Eagle Griffin controls rights for everything. Age of Steam related, uh, which, um, Charlie, you know a little bit about the Age of Steam history and the games yes, involved, right? a little bit. Well, to be fair, I know more about the game that came after Age of Steam, which, which was, was Railroad Railways. Tycoon. Railroad Tycoon, which turned into Railways which of the Which turned world. into Railways of the World. Um, but yeah, I know that uh, Martin Wallace was at least one part, he could be entirely, for all I know, of the creation of Age of Steam. Or he could be none of it. Or it could be none of it. Has, by the way, have you guys played Age of Steam? I have not, no. You're I not? have a copy that I bought okay. at a flea market at your explicit to do suggestion. It, to do so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, I'm kind of sad that the sequel to Age of Steam isn't the Age of Decent. Who does? Good job. <laughs> I love how quiet that got. No. That's good. <laughs> that was perfect. Okay, so in a statement, um, Martin Wallace says, whatever disputes about Age of Steam that may have existed in the past are now res- uh, have now been resolved to both parties' satisfaction. I will no longer dispute that Eagle Griffin Games or Egg is the proper successor in interest to Eagle Games, the entity that I signed a purchase agreement with in March 2005. Uh, conveying various rights uh, of ownership to, to Age of Steam, Struggle of Empires, and a game to be designed at a later date, uh, so on and so forth. So he's basically saying, like, Eagle Griffin has this and everything that there is yeah. there for. I'm guessing that what happened was a lot of these contracts with the when you publish a game say they have it written, written in there that if you sell a certain amount in a certain amount of time, the publisher just keeps the rights. So it's kind of a it, you could consider it a win win, mm-hmm. but it could be a win lose depending on how the contract's written. Where um, if you say, "Oh, if we sell ten thousand games a year, you're going to always get you know your uh, percentage as a designer, but we get to keep the rights to the game and keep going." Um, I'm guessing that's just been somehow written in there where Eagle Games, for all their ups and downs, have been able to just keep Age of Steam forever. Although, tell me more about who's this other guy you wrote in there. So there's like four other interested parties. Yeah. Um, there's a, the, uh, a John, uh, and I forget his last name, John uh, Borer, um, who is allegedly the original designer of the original game. What? 
Okay. Yeah, so there's this whole sort of a deal where, like, if you want to deep dive into the conspiracy theories, and I highly suggest you do because this is some juicy, juicy shit. Charlie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Juicy? Juicy. 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 <laughs> so, so there's a whole claim that, that Martin Wallace didn't actually design the game. Uh, somebody else designed it back uh, back in the day who didn't want to be a game designer, so he threw a Martin Wallace's name on it because Martin Wallace wanted to be a famous game designer. So there's a whole deal with what? that. Yeah, like not what even a joke. <laughs> um, so the the statement came out on March 13th. Hey, Charlie, uh, can you put my name on pups? Sure. <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the statement that Wallace released came out on, on, on uh, March 13th, uh, just this past Wednesday. Um, however, on March 7th, Martin Wallace posted on BoardGameGeek to the, and, and just pissed off the whole user base of, oh of BGG. Uh, and he said, hey, folks, as many of you may, uh, as many of you will be relatively new to BGG, and some of you may not be aware of our history behind Age of Steam, to cut to the chase, this game was stolen from me by John Borer and published without my consent by Eagle Griffin. I received no royalties from the sales of the game. Uh, the official version of the game is known as Steam, and the rights are held by Fantasy Flight. Uh, at some point in the future, they may be releasing a new version of the game, just something to mull over, signed Martin Wallace. Interesting. Hmm. I'm trying to think of the timetables now here, because here's the thing. So when I was at Gamma, mm-hmm. one of the things that happened is I got to sit down with um, um, a guy named Glenn Drover. The original owner of Eagle, right? He was the original owner of Eagle. The, kind of the reason he started the company is he worked in the video game industry as like a, um, I think more in like the sales side of things. Sure. But specifically back then, they were making a lot of those simulation games like Railroad Tycoon or Age of... Uh, Age of Mythology, Age of... Discovery. Yeah, you know, things like that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Age of Discovery. That's another one of his games. Age of Empires. Age of Empires. That's, mm. yeah, big ones. Age uh, of Empires 2, still greatest RTS of all time. I've never played that one. It's real great. But that was the thing. He started the game company thinking like, hey, you know, there's a niche here where I could, because I have these connections, uh, port them over to board game versions. And this is where I'm unclear about how it happened. I'm, I know, I'm pretty positive Age of Steam happened first. And what he told me was that he specifically reached out to Martin Wallace and said, hey, can you, like, family-friendly this a little bit? Because Age of Steam is crazy economic. Like, it's a tough game. It's, it's one of the original 18xx. Yes, right? exactly. It's like that. It's, I personally did not like it when I played it because I was like, wow, this is a lot. Granted, it was much earlier in my game playing, but it was a lot. Um, so he actually asked Martin Wallace, and according to this conversation, he was saying, like, there were, like – multiple back and forths between them like he was aware that he was making this game for them so this is where i'm like did age of steam get released by eagle games before or did the owner after um uh glendrover just say eh i've got railroad tycoon because i own this company now i'm gonna also release age of steam even though i don't know this is where i'm not sure it's weird stuff man so it's all juicy. So apparently Dota 2 Nub on Reddit uh, posted another interesting tidbit. John Brewer's account was banned from Board Game Geek uh, initially. Um, the user thumbed a game on the winsome reprint list and also emailed John asking for copies and any announcements of reprinted games. John then emailed uh, to offer a copy of something based on his thumb. When the other user declined, John's response was to insult the user multiple times and included several personal details, basically doxing this guy, uh, that John acquired through internet searches, such as the user's real first name, employer, occupation, and age. Uh, When the user commented in the geek list about John's actions, he publicly posted 
uh, some of these personal details in the geek list. Like there is Aaron's, they don't f around. No, they don't. I didn't want to squeak in an, an actual <laughs> f bomb there because we're going light. So. <laughs> they don't mess around. There is so much. I know that there's a lot, a lot of blood, bad blood between yeah. Martin Wallace and Eagle Griffin Games. I know that for sure. I've heard about it. Um, I've also heard, to be fair, on the other side of things, that Martin Wallace is a tough guy to work with. I've heard that as well. Yeah. So it might just be the whole, you know, immovable blob and unstoppable juggernaut kind of situation that just for a decade or so now has been slamming into each other. It's good stuff. Anyway, Age of Steam Deluxified is on Kickstarter, uh, of course, by Eagle Griffin Games. Uh, initial goal, $30,000. That 174 at time of recording. Wow. With over 2,000 backers. Like, this game is... is It never dies. Force. Yeah, this it is never good, dies. Good stuff. God, it's so nice. It's so nice to the see. The cover it. looks nice. The thing is, if you look at the maps, it's pretty much what I remember from the old Age's team. They're very basic. Yeah, they didn't really update the visuals on the, on the board itself. But it looks like component upgrades uh, across the board. It looks like it's slightly larger. Yeah, um, a bunch of included maps just right away. Ian O'Toole did the art. Yep, he's the go-to guy for Eagle Griffin nowadays. Yes, uh, did he do Escape Plan? He did. He does basically anything Vital, literally everything Vital. Because uh, he did uh, Lisboa, right? He did Lisboa. He, he, he was the one who apologized for being so blue. <laughs> yes, he did Lisboa. He did. He's doing the new upcoming on Mars, which looks really dope. Um, he did the one I worked on, which was Scarlet Pimpernel, which also looked amazing. Um, and yeah, he did this one. He's everywhere. Good stuff. All right, so go down the deep hole with uh, Martin Lawrence if you want to. Martin move Lawrence! <laughs> Martin Lawrence. <laughs> Pick your Again, pill. Pick your pill. Martin Lawrence or, Mar- or Martin Wallace. Steam or railways. What's it going to be? All right. <laughs> uh, moving on uh, to some more legal trouble issues questions that's all we got today it's great (laughs) it's awesome i love it class action suit accuses mattel of misleading shareholders a class action lawsuit has been filed in u.s district court against mattel Uh, the suit is accusing the company of misleading shareholders as to the declining demand for barbie hot wheels and other products Uh, This is directly related to a February announcement that sales would be flat in 2019 and that sales of Barbie and Hot Wheels would not reach 2018 levels. The plaintiffs claim this contradicts statements made earlier by the company. Um, In an excerpt from the the legal claim here, on February 15th, 2019, the company, Mattel, provided a disappointing outlook for 2019, citing slowing growth in the sales of Barbie and Hot Wheels. In this news, the company's share price fell $3.09 per share, uh, stuff. It just continued to fall. Words, um, words, 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 legalese. Um, however, throughout the class period, defendants, uh, class action lawsuit persons, made materially false or misleading statements, uh, as well as failed to disclose material adverse facts about the company's business operations and prospects. Specifically, defendants failed to disclose to investors one that demand for the company's products was declining. And that the company had an excess of product supply. And three, that as a result of the foregoing, defendants' positive statements about the company's business operations, prosper, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> basically, they said, hey, don't expect. Also, it's tanking like a motherfucker. Okay, hold on. Let's, let's relook at the cliff notes here because even yeah. I was confused by that. It's a so, lot of legalese for sure. So Mattel was yep. saying, hey, guys, Barbies and Hot Wheels aren't it's... so hot or barb right now. <laughs> We're going to stay stagnant. We're going to stay stagnant. But 
It went down? Is that? It went down significantly. Sales oh, okay. for that were, were at a declining so, trend. just to be clear, they underplayed it. What was happening? They, uh, I would go with the underplayed. However, since we don't have money involved in this, yeah. we're fine with that. However, if you were a major investor in a major company, you and they say it's going to be stagnant, it's going to be level gotcha. for the year, but you're actually losing percents and percents and percents, okay. that is a big deal because that is not only your money, but money for everybody else involved. Because yeah, that's okay. Return. Like, it's not what you want, but no. if it's Mattel and that amount of money and it's just chilling, and even right, more, cool. And even more so, generally, a stagnation in business is usually about a 5% growth. Yeah. That, mm. that is true. There was less people at Toy Fair this year, we found out. New York Toy Fair. Yeah, which I went to, and we'll talk about that more later. But that definitely is more heavy on the toy side of things than the board game side of things. And these got toy guys, oh my god, they have so much money, it's absurd. Oh, yes. Ridiculous amounts of money. But apparently, like, they released a uh, attendance breakdown after the fact. And there were significantly less people at that trade show this year, which is, made me wonder. So, attendees, not exhibitors? Overall attendance. Mm. Exhibitors went up, so I can tell you this from doing a lot of trade shows. That doesn't surprise me, because they just, like suck the lifeblood out of their exhibitors in order to pay for their bills it costs it costs four thousand dollars to be at that show just as have, an exhibitor just to have a 10 by 10 wow just to have a i mean that makes sense it's the premier 10. it's the premier event for, for the toy industry yeah i get it i get it i mean that's like <laughs> going to a home and garden show and and and, and wanting to show off your new product but pay you know it was a weird show. Yeah. It was weird. I want to talk about that later. We will. That, we'll get there. There's going to be good stuff there. Uh, we're going to move on from the legalese to ICV2, attributing 2018 declines overall for the gaming industry to the collectible games market. Uh, in a presentation at the Gamma Trade Show on Monday, ICV2 CEO Milton Gripe said the U.S. and Canadian hobby game market declined last year for the first time since ICV2 has begun to track Sales numbers, uh, quoted as saying, a decline in the collectible game category, which accounts for 40% of the hobby game market, uh, specifically stating that collectible games is anything blind box, uh, so Magic of the Gathering, uh, uh, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, um, even to a sense Keyforge, and the, the, the unique board game by Fantasy Flight as well. Gotcha. All of those are contributing to a decline in the, uh, in, in the hobby, uh, on the consumer side. But the good news, he says that he doesn't think that it's a secular trend. I think it's more cyclical. Hmm. There's going to be definitely ups and downs, right? But the problem with that is the downs are going to stay, like, down. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Interesting. Well, I don't know. You guys are pretty close to the scene. Does it feel like just specifically Magic is at any low point compared to previous years? I would say that Magic, with their new Magic Arena application, has... Screw the pooch, personally. Sam, what do you think? I, I think physical magic's not doing as well. Magic Arena definitely seems to be pulling people in. Um, so their digital version is kind of yeah. pulling people in. Interesting. Um, well, it's because with, with the Magic Arena, they split their online, their digital market into two separate products, said that they're not going to support the, 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 the previous digital product, and said that they're not going to host um, physical tournaments. They're oh, only no. going to do so through Magic Arena. Yeah. So, no, that that hurt. Destiny doesn't seem to be doing super well. No, Destiny hasn't been doing well in a while. Um, Keyforge, I don't know about Keyforge. Their their new set's dropping, like, next month, so... I know Keyforge is selling really well. Just for, yeah. I've seen, like, the inside, like, numbers of how many it's selling on Amazon. It's crazy. Like, it's, tons yeah, it's of people still are still buying out. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, I I don't think the collectible card game market's doing super well right now. Hmm. I finally got Keyforge though. Finally, I <laughs> got my little starter pack. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. Proud of you. I'm happy. You can play against one of twenty, one of Sam's twenty-four <laughs> Archon decks. Oh no! Oh, I thought yeah. Uh, uh, so gripe continues to say um, or rather the article continues to say that non-collectible miniatures market continued to grow in 2018 buoyed by strong sales of Games Workshop brands uh, of course because GW is knocking it out of the damn ballpark but GW has um, blind box stuff too they do Space Marines Heroes Space Marine Heroes they also have um, Champions oh yes their Their card game which the app is fantastic I don't know if play the physical game but yeah that's fair fair uh and the category was also helped by growing sales in role-playing game related miniatures uh gripe said that there was also a slowdown in star wars related products like x-wing which that makes sense because x-wing just went through um well not just went through but they went through second edition and they're slowly building up the line again yeah so there's still segmented like factions that don't have rules or even ships at this but point this month um separatists and republic drop yeah we get jedi starfighters I which will be neat psyched uh, the article continues to say board games continue to grow but that growth was slower than the previous six years tracked by icv2 grape said that the massive proliferation of titles caused issues for retailers especially during key holiday months uh grape says that this caused a flight to evergreen games meaning carcassonne Catan, monopoly even just audible disgust just audible pukage yeah i like one of those three games uh, carcassonne monopoly right correct version of carcassonne (laughs) (laughs) all right well that's what i'm talking about news for today Juice. There's a lot of juice I in there. I loved it. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. As I was trying to tell you, there are no bullets left in this gun, you see? The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man Show. He's apparently a fabric of society so long as they and their weird way of doing sex is, is, is legitimized. That's what they want. Their weird way of having sex or doing sex. I mean, gay folk, they're not aliens. They're not from Trisomia 21. <laughs> they're human beings. They have sex the same way we do. They don't mind meld in order to fuck. <laughs> now then, they don't, maybe they don't place their fingertips together and they're orgasming. The way these, I mean, Tom, Oh, Jesus, he's in the studio. Uh, Thomas, I mean, the way the gays uh, sign those leases for the latest Kia excursion. I mean, it's just, it's madness. The way they do those leases and buy those homes. And, you mean and, with the signature the same way everyone I mean, else their, does? Their credit ratings are just exuberantly high for, for people. From a lack of divorce? It's, it's true. I mean, they live a better life. They have more disposable income than the rest of us. But good golly, they're going to ruin society. <laughs> if anything, we can learn a little bit about economics and, and the life savings from the gay community. <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. What are you looking at, nerd? Huh? I thought I was looking at my mother's old douchebag, but that's in Ohio. <laughs> Geek Out Saturdays. And then, like, ants eat your remains. <laughs> like, those books got real dark. <laughs> For kids, or like one of them, like you can. This is, the this the is fact that Marvel's for, been doing it for ten years doesn't mean so, it's easy. Hold on, though. Take Marvel out of the equation and forget okay. that they don't even exist. 
television has been doing this for decades. And I stumbled upon it while I was hunting alligators. And this guy starts whistling at you. He beckons you. So I thought it was a mission, like a side mission. So I went, and then I realized what it was when it was too late. Yeah. I walked in, it's the guy starts And that's how they go out. Like, because the, the rebirth, when they ditched the new 52, because the new 52, they weren't always on the best of terms. They're back together, or, you know, they end up getting back together because they feel something they don't know. They just feel like the universe is pulling them together. Catch up on your favorite Rayman digital geek shows every Saturday. DC on CW, Back to Tank, Weird West Radio, The Crossroads, and more. Geek Out Saturday on Rayman Channel 001. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open Sesame! And it helps strengthen the one rule in Star Trek that basically a lot of, I think a lot of fans and a lot of writers in Star Trek really do not take that much seriously is that prime directive. The prime directive is you do not by any means inter, uh, interact with a pre-warp society. Unless they're hot. <laughs> if the whole if the whole world is a bunch of T'Pol's and seven yeah. and nines, then yes, you must break that prime directive. That's what that's what makes those moments... or at least bend it slightly <laughs> to the right and up. That's what that's what makes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! What is it that's bo- what is it that's bothering him? Yeah, because everyone deals with that. There's a lot of uh, I always read like self help books and stuff like that that tell about inside. Of I read self help books when it comes to sex. I, I need lots of help. <laughs> I need lots, lots of help. That's how I learned about the slightly the slight bend to the right and the up. Bend to the right. Yeah, and up. that was due to a, a sex help book <laughs> and sexual yoga books. Yeah. Well, the sex for dummies. Star Trek from the Holodeck, exclusively on Rain Man Digital. End simulation. We are back, everybody. And happy to be so. Happy to be so. Lots of drama. Lots of drama. Lots of drama. We're going to jump right back into drama. So New York Toy Fair, just overall, oh. less attendees, huh? Yes. So this year, I finally got to try it out. Uh, our company's looking to get into more stores. So New York Toy Fair, very different than most other conventions. In fact... I think it's kind of cuts the line between what's a convention, which would be something like Origins, and what's an actual trade show. What's a trade show? Basically, you go there. You're not selling anything over the counter to anyone, like any copies of games. You're literally just selling to stores or trying to make deals with, like, big box stores like Target and whatnot. So. Or even trying to get in investors, maybe? Yeah, I guess that's part of it, too. We weren't really there for that. But, but it's huge. It's enormous. It's at the Javits Center in New York, New York, right downtown. Um, it's big. I don't know what to say. I mean, as far as like the overall like scale of it, um, I imagine imagine Gen Con, except much more diversity. So not just board games and probably like two stories worth of what Gen Con looks like. I would say um, the toys market just overall, I think, is the third largest consumer focused market. I think mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go to to a show that is just that so yeah so here's one of the biggest differences this this one this thing blew me away so you know i was in the the lowly bottom floor smaller companies and when i say smaller companies like cool mini or not was a smaller company there you know what really I mean? yeah oh yeah they, they wow. put they put us all down there and then you go upstairs it's like lego you know mattel um i'm trying to think of like some big ones that i didn't realize were so big like think fun really yeah believe it or not um play monster was really big. Uh, Ty was ridiculously big. 
you know, like the guys that make uh, Beanie Babies. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was going to say, like, Ty is still, dude, on... you would have thought just by looking on the outside of this convention that it was a Thai convention. No. The amount of money that they spend on advertising for those little beanies, that's well, because it's not. They don't do traditional Beanie Babies anymore. They do like big plush or like super deformed. Yeah, they do stuff with giant cr- eyeballs. And apparently, stuff. Sparkles is what's going on right now. Sparkles is hot. In the beanie market, you want you some, sparkles. I mean, like every, everything stuff? has glitter and is twinkly. So I, I don't know. <laughs> Damn, I got some for you. Got some uh, free giveaways. Anyways, <laughs> one of the things that really set it apart that was, was interesting is you know I'm walking around. I'm like, oh look at the blue orange. Bo- this is the biggest blue orange booth I've ever seen. This is great. Oh look at the new new games and whatnot. Um, I guess the big hot game that was there from uh, was a blue orange game. It's called Planet. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's oh. got this giant almost. It's like a gigantic D12. Um, it's not really a die, though. You use it to, like, put on different, like, sides of a planet. Um, and it's like a way of, like, evolving your planet to like, get different animals. It looks pretty cool. I, I, mean, I was hoping that you could roll it like a die, but nah, I don't know. I see that you're looking at it right now. It's, it's definitely sexy looking. It's really nice looking game. That was maybe the hottest game at Toy Fair. What was getting a lot of the buzz. So it looks like it's a it's a... D12 that you get to slot little chipboards into? Yeah, it's like magnetic, and you're basically building a planet. Um, it looks great. I don't know if it's actually fun or not. When they Can did I the, blow the planet up? You could throw it against the wall like a child <laughs> having a tantrum. Easily. That's not what I meant, but oh. okay. Uh, from Blue Orange website, uh, a world has taken shape in the palm of your hands and planet spread your mountain ranges in your desert, expand your forests, oceans, and glaciers strategically position your continents to form hospitable environments for animal life to develop and try to create a most populated, diverse planet. Uh, that doesn't say anything about gameplay. I, I mean, literally, from what I took away from the gameplay mm-hmm. is... You sort of draft these chits or these sides, these magnetic sides that go onto your planet D12 thing. And as you draft them, they then have a better and better chance of attracting different animals as if like, oh, those animals will evolve on your planet. What bums me out is like it was a perfect chance to have like something that you could roll. Like, Like literally that thing that you're like plugging in the different parts to could have been a flat surface. But it's not because it looks cooler to say that it's not. But it doesn't do anything outside of that being 3D. There's no, like, advantage to it being 3D. Kind of bumps me out a little bit. I guess it'd be, like, spatial awareness, helping helping kids with, with 3D. It makes it more toyetic. I think that's the main thing. Like, that's the, it makes it more toyetic. I guess the other thing it does, which is, I got to give credit to this, is where things are connected and touch to, touching to other things is important. Where So if it was a flat surface, you'd have to do the whole, like, oh, um... Uh, Pac-Man rules working touch one side through the other, whereas this, it literally does wrap all the way around, so you can, like, there can be some, like, connectors going on there. It was interesting. That was really hot. But that's, but here's the thing. This was the line in the sand I found very interesting. I go into a nice, big, open um, uh, blue-orange booth, see all these great games. They're being super hospitable and happy and I don't even have buyer on my badge, which usually if you see someone that has buyer on your badge, Ooh. yeah, because you says exhibitor, buyer, everyone just like hordes on, hordes on the buyer guys, right? I try to go to the Play Monster booth. So Play Monster booth is like a city. It's this enormous thing. They're the guys that make Five Second Rule and a bunch of other like Target games and like Walmart games. Okay. I start walking up and someone goes, um, excuse, excuse me, sir, sir. I'm like, oh, um, yes. They're like, do you have an appointment? I'm like, uh, what, do you, what do you mean? An appointment to come into this booth. What? You have to have an appointment to walk into the Lego booth, into the Play Monster booth. You have to be a man in a business suit 
with your name on a list in order to walk in these things. Oh, I, my shit. mind was, I was like, this is madness. And then when I, so I started asking, I was like, why is it like this? And they're like, well, there's actually a really good reason. Millions and millions of dollars deals are happening here. So like if someone like, let's say at the Play Monster booth, someone says like, hey, you know, we are going to sign a contract and we're going to put, you know, a million copies of Five Second Rule into all your stores and we want this shelf space, yada, yada. Cool. Sounds good. Well, we'll sign that later, Carl. And then Jim comes by and says, I heard you made a deal with them. Tell you what, we'll undercut that by 25% if you put on our our four-second rule game onto the shelf. And I guess that used to happen all the time. And so they, so they, invented, they created these little, like, sub-cities for these big companies so they could have, like, meetings in private right up Damn. next to their news. It's crazy. It, was it makes sense, though. Totally yeah. different than what I'm used to seeing. In, uh... That's incredible. So it was pretty baller. The coolest thing that happened to us was, you know, we, we signed up a lot of stores. We had a pretty small little 10 by 10 booth. It's a fun experience. It was a lot of hard work. But this one guy walks by and his badge is covered up. And oh. he has it like flipped the other way. And he's like, hmm, this looks pretty good. He's got nothing in his hands. He's got like, he's this clean shaven, like slick looking man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, this game looks really good. Hmm, what is the MSRP? What's this? And we're like, oh, it's this, that. And then he flips his thing around and he's a target buyer. And we're like, um, uh, would you like to take a seat? Can I get you some coffee? And he's like, no. He's like, well, tell you what, um, why don't we give you our sell sheet? He's like, no. I don't, what? He's like, I don't carry things. And he just holds up his phone. He takes a photo and he goes, I'll, I'll be in touch. He's like, do you want our car? No. And he just walks away. Damn. Yeah. I feel wow. poor all of a sudden. I feel. <laughs> These guys, it's ridiculous. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Uh, Toy Fair was a, was a trip. It was nuts. But Being it was a fun. Toy Fair. I have to apologize for this. What's up? You ever see the video of um, Vin Diesel? Um, no, sorry, not Vin Diesel. It was. I think it was Vin Diesel selling street sharks. Street sharks? Yeah, the toys. No. Like back in the day? Yeah. Was he like a booth dude? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Toy Fair performance, Vin Diesel. Oh, boy. Uh, who's Toy Fair? <laughs> Sweet. Oh my god. <laughs> no, it's glorious. It's Explain glorious. Explain what you're seeing right now. Uh so it's Vin Diesel ripped in the I think the most shredded I've ever seen him, like more so than what he was. Like in. he was young. He was a young yeah. little boy and he's going through and demoing the Street <laughs> Shark toys like one of one of them He calls like a, them round mounds of pound. Oh my god, I he's reaching he's... into a giant <laughs> shark's mouth and pulls out the hammerhead. He's in a he's in a pleather pla- <laughs> He's in a pleather glossy vest. Is there a oh. shark tooth dangling from his neck? There is a gigantic shark tooth on a gold <laughs> chain dangling between his massive pecs. pecs. Oh, my God. There is no just, exaggeration going on here right just now. Just knocking the... Uh, so, Charlie, did you see anything like this? Uh, Any future movie stars in the making? No, no. I mean, Look at his earring! <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, this man is playing with a dinosaur? Oh, that's cute. Street shark! Yeah. This is awesome. I can't attest to, like, you can tell these people. <laughs> they spent a lot of money for their displays. I'm sorry. He just pulled out a street shark puppet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Guys, go see it on YouTube. Oh, this is incredible. Vin Diesel uh, a street shark toy fair. Oh, my God. That was choice. No, that totally makes sense. So undercutting, like, it's active wheeling and dealing with millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And a dude with a t- Target buyer badge. That's really exciting. Yes, it was just, exciting. It probably doesn't mean anything, it does, but, well, but it was it, cool. It even was cool. if it doesn't, like, this dude is so high up there that it's like, you don't get to see what I do until yeah. I say that you get to see what yes. I do. That is... Yeah. 
I don't carry things. It's well because it's a thing. <laughs> I won't I, be able to say that one. Is that verbatim? Did he say I don't carry things? Yes. Wow. Yes. He like he's like I don't carry things. I'm not going to take anything from your booth. And that was, I will say, overall, there was a total different vibe at a show like that. Because I've done so many customer-facing shows like Mm -hmm. the, you know, Gen Cons and the Origins and just conventions, you Mm -hmm. know. People come to your booth because they want things. They know who you are. Yes. They're going to buy your shit. When they come to your booth at Toy Fair, they're like, you have 30 seconds. And then it's it's like, ah! And you have to, like, go into your song and dance. And then sometimes they'll just walk away mid-sentence. Are you for real? I'm not kidding. Not, I'm not going to pretend like everyone is like that. Oh, no, no, There's sure. a lot of great mom and pop stores. We we signed up like a, almost 40 stores when we were there, which was great. But there was a lot of them that they were sitting on human thrones and because wow. they knew that we needed them more than they needed us. It was crazy. I love that. Yeah. I love every bit about that. Let's start talking about actual games. <laughs> uh, Sam, let's just go ahead and jump into it. We played a game together. We did. But not only did we play a game together, which is weird. We played a miniatures game together. Which is like oh my God. pigs were flying. Last time we did that. Hell was freezing. Cats and dogs marrying each other. Absolutely. It was, um, Horizon Wars, I think. Horizon right? Wars by Osprey, yeah. And that barely counts but hilariously once again we played a game that doesn't have its own minis which i'm always a fan of because yeah. that means i can go cheap cheapo on my entry here that's true so we played a uh, warlords of erawan it, it's nowhere Erewhon? backwards nowhere backwards and it took yeah. me far too long to figure that out <laughs> um so it is a fantasy game put out by warlord games um and it is written by rick Priestley, which is important to me, but maybe not to most of our viewers, our listeners. Maybe view us occasionally. Um, he's the dude who wrote the original uh, Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer 40K. He's um, the original writer Yeah, for he's it? the guy that um, uh, Games Workshop had to write it back when they were still doing, like, D&D shit. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. So then he eventually, I think it was, like, 4th edition, something like that, decided that um, Games Workshop was too much about sales and not enough about the hobby and the game itself. Makes sense. Um, reason I don't do Taekwondo anymore. Um, <laughs> and he split off, started doing his own thing. Um, he did uh, Black Powder. Which was Osprey, right? I think it was Osprey. Now he's with um, Warlord. He did Bolt Action with um, Alessio. Alessio. Some dude. Another designer. Another designer. Um he did... Gates of Antares. Gates of Antares was his first thing. Which is important for Erewhon. Yes, because then he went, I can make this a fantasy game. And he did. And boy, is it neat. So I'm I'm going to actually let you kind of talk for a Duh, bit here. Okay, sure. Because, not to like explain the game, mm-hmm. that's a horrible idea. Yep. Um, but <laughs> you, you as a person who doesn't really play minis games, and me as a guy who plays probably way too many, mm-hmm. and get some different viewpoints of what we think. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as well known, uh, I like model-neutral or system-neutral sort of a deal, right? Because that allows me, as a broke man, to, you know, cut out some paper standees if I want to. It's really nice. Plus, I get to choose the lines that I want. So, um, when Warlords of Erewhon was first teased, I had seen it at LVO, um, at a booth that I was working at, um, and it was like, why are those... Why are those Mantic models next to Warlord models next to uh, Miniaturus models? <laughs> what dark sorcery is happening like, here? What is going on here? It's like, oh, it's this new game from Warlord. It's like, you can just bring whatever you want. And I'm like, uh, continue? So I didn't have a chance to play it there. But eventually one of our, uh, one of our uh, friends at our local game store um, 
I was like, yeah, I got this new book. It's actually really cool. And this person, like, I trust games with, like, in every aspect of it. He's super knowledgeable. We've mentioned him before, Dan. He's a really, really intelligent person when it comes to games. He's like, he, yeah, knows, his shit. he knows his shit. He's like, yeah, this is like an amalgamation of everything. And guess what? I can give you a demo and we can play it in like 30 minutes. And we did. And it was awesome. So the game itself uses the system from both action and gets inventories. We were drawing dice out of a mm. bag. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. To who is taking a turn. Right? So and you've got only six orders that you can do, which is awesome because it's so condensed. Sam, you take it from here. Keep, keep going. But no, <laughs> no I, I don't want you to explain how the game works. Yeah. Do, be like Charlie. Do feels. Do feels. Okay. Do so feels. in playing this game, um, it's, it's slightly larger than a warband, right? You've got a, 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 depending on your army, maybe 50 models on the maybe. table. Yeah. Which means that your purchase count. And I think that point level felt about right. Like, maybe a little bit higher in points, but where we were, it felt big enough that it felt, it didn't feel tiny and insignificant, but it wasn't hard to keep track of. It allowed you, so we had played with a thousand point game. I had like 36 elves, Mm -hmm. and you had 45 orcs. Orc dudes and chariots and trolls and stuff. Um, But the, the, yep, truth, and a dinosaur, which we'll get to that later. (laughs) Um, But it just felt satisfying in, in such a way that it it was very much a beer and pretzel sort of a deal but but going through like when i ran my boar cavalry into your hero and your hero just eviscerated just no so no the whole in. unit yeah. like he was like it was um um aragorn just in a in a pack of just trash and just cutting them down it felt great when i charged a chariot into a unit of of, of elves with with swords it felt great as you were just bifurcating the entire unit. And it was and like you just you charged my elves and like butchered them and the elves went, That's cute. That's cute. Fucking Here, orcs. you're dead now. <laughs> yeah. Like but everything in it felt satisfying. It didn't feel like any move that I was doing was erroneous or a filler move. Everything had meaning. And plus like I can bring whatever I want. So, like, my entry point is going to be $200 for a full force and then some, allowing me customization. So, the it's base level, for me, core rulebook, 45 bucks, 200 for models, 250 give or take, for a full force and then some. For a miniatures game, knocks it out of the damn park, man. Yeah. Um, no, the, the minis is definitely the thing that kind of sold me on trying the game, I guess. Like, I was willing to demo it, but that's about as far as I want to go. Because the first I saw it, I was at um, I was at Imperial Outpost, and I saw the the few boxes of minis they have, and the minis they have and they've put out are trash. So there are technically official models for Warlords of Erewhon. You'll never use them; they're garbage. They're by a game called War Games Foundry, and they are not. They're not good. Pretty. No, I looked them and went. They're well, sufficient. They're not good. They're not expensive, so they're okay. I guess they're about on par with Mantic's older stuff. Which like is an insult. Old, so, old, old stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like the elf dildo launcher. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw the minis and went, eh, okay, whatever. It's fantasy, Gates of Antares with crappy mini. Which, by the way, did you know that during the beta testing, uh, during Warlords Game Day last year, the, the beta name was Fantaries. Fitting. Yeah. So, and I'll go into that a little bit more too, because I want to talk more about how the game plays. Yes. Um, but then 
Dan told me, hey, this game is designed to use as many as you have. I'm like, I, I have Wood Elves. They're not really good in Age of Sigmar right now. I'll buy a $45 rule book so I have another game I can play them exactly. in. Exactly. And it was great. Um, so I'm not really going to try to compare this to Age of Sigmar. Um, Age of Sigmar is the current um, Games Workshop fantasy game. It's the big dog on the block. Really, as far as fantasy games go, kind of the only one that's a big name. Yes. Um, like Kings of War is present. Kings of War is a second, but it's a very yeah. distant second for sure. For sure. So there's there's definitely been an evolution of this game from where um, Rick Priestley started. Because like your um, your traditional mass market tabletop games, um, you'll have like a number you hit the enemy on. It might be based off just a stack number like H.S. Sigmar. It might be like older Warhammer Fantasy where you compared like your weapon skill, their weapon skill, and used a table. But generally there's like a number you have to get better than. Um, and he carried that kind of through to bolt action. Um, the type of infantry you had was like the number you had to, like elite infantry are hard to wound, so you had to roll like a five to wound them. Conscripts got wounded on threes, but still like base static target numbers that you hit. Um, and bolt actions where he started bringing the order dice. And the way that worked was every unit you had gave you an order die. And you put those in the bag, your opponent's out in the bag. And then every, you'd reach in, you pull out a die, and whatever color it was, that side got to go. Like if it was my dice, I'd take that dice, choose one of the units I want to go, whichever one I felt had to go first, who was important. Or maybe I'm trying to buy time with less important guys, see what you're doing. It gives you kind of a little bit of a give and take, some reaction you can use. And then I'll give them one of the orders, which might be like run so they can go faster but can't attack. Um, advance lets them move and shoot things. Um, fire lets them stay stationary and shoot better. Uh, you can go into ambush to hide and wait for later turns when people react, um, come out to react to. And I think there's something else, but I'm that's only five, right? Uh, there's a down. Oh, there's order. down, yep. which is generally you failed your order. Um, and yeah, bolt you- action also added pins mm-hmm. and pins are where it started really kind of shifting away from like the most of the standard tabletop games. And what pins do is if you get shot at you, you start getting suppressed and a squad that's suppressed. When you give an order die, you have to make a command check to see if they can actually do the thing. If they fail it, they go down instead because they're getting shot. They don't like it. Um, if you get, a number of pins equal to your command value, you just automatically break and you flee the battlefield. Then he went to Gates of Antares. And Gates of Antares kind of is its own beast. It's not just so bolt action was World War II. Gates of Antares is sci-fi, but it's not just a reskin. Um Gates of Antares went into it switched from D6s to D10s, which right there gives you so much more variation in stats. Yep. Like there's only so much you can do with six numbers for a stat, but once you get to a D10, way more options. Guns mean more, armor saves mean more. Can be more granular but the other change that Antares did is it didn't use a target number it started playing more kind of like D, where like your weapon skill you you hit on sixes well your target number is you're not trying to roll a six your d10 has to be a six or less so you have a range now and that range can be modified by range accuracy same thing for your armor that's modified by um the strike value of the new weapon if it's better punching through armor it's going to reduce your resistance hard to save against but now you have a range you're playing with instead of that target number um still use the same order dice system that stayed the same the pins largely stayed the same he changed close combat a little bit because bolt ashing close combat was if you lost combat you all died because you gave up and surrendered um and Tari's had kind of a little bit more give and take back and forth the ability to like chase your fleeing opponents down or just back off from the combat and stare at each other 
Um, but it, it, it did a lot of changes. It kept like the core idea, like the pins still worked the same, but it definitely became its own beast. Then Warlords of Erewhon came out and went, hey, let's just take that game and make it fantasy. And for the most part, it's largely, largely the same. Um, hand-to-hand combat is quite a bit different. It, it's actually pretty similar. Antares hand-to-hand it? combat's very similar. Um, and this is, I think, the biggest thing. I mean, okay, pins matter a lot. Yep. The fact that my elf archers plank some arrows into your orcs, your orcs took a pin, and the next turn instead of doing an order went, we're getting shot at, we're going to stay here and hunker down. Yep. That won me the first game. It's second devastating. Game was way um, but I guess I will compare it to Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar, um, you get in a fight. I have to roll threes to hit you. I roll threes to wound you. You roll threes to save. Like four or five guys die. You do it back at me. Cool. Um, you make a bright test. A couple more guys run away. Erewhon mm-hmm. um, says, we swing at the same time. So... The guys I kill, they still swing because we're swinging simultaneously. I can't kill you out of the combat before I take any wounds. It feels like it's an actual combat. Mm -hmm. But then the way it works is casualties, every person that dies gives you a pin. Mm -hmm. At the end of the combat, whoever the most pins, they lose combat, they have to make a break test, which is their command check minus the um, number of pins. Let's say your orcs were at leadership six. Uh, Leadership seven. Leadership seven. So if they had two pins, on their D10, uh, they now had to roll a five or less. Mm Mm-hmm. If they succeed at that, which they never did, I would then get to choose, all right, I'm going to fight you again, or I'm going to back up and take a break because I don't want to get hit more. Uh-huh. If they fail, they route, and they do a double speed run away, and now they're fleeing. Right and, as quickly as they can, shortest distance possible to your table edge. Yeah. Um, if I catch you and charge you again, you're essentially destroyed. Um, friends nearby can do a rally order to try to bring them back in. But that, that drastically changes how combat feels. Instead of just, yes. okay, cool, I lost like five guys, whatever. Now it's, all right, I lost two guys. I managed to hang on. Do I want to try to fight again? Um, are we going to break off? Or I lost two guys and my dudes are terrified. Now we're running. Yes. Like the first game I won because on like turn five, literally every model Andrew had was in route. It, yes, that's not even a joke. I failed every single command test that I possibly could have. And that was a major swing, because at the start of that game, you did a spell that made one of my units just flee. Yeah, I just deleted like, My most expensive points. unit fled the battlefield. I'm like, Gone. well, this is crappy. Immediately. But then I just started breaking his army, and they all started running. Yeah. So there's definitely a swinging aspect to it, which is definitely going to turn some people off. But it feels swinging in the sense that it makes sense. Given they don't the, feel arbitrary. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, the, your your unit's going to break because they've taken mass casualties. Or, you know, there's a... a, a, a or they're a, exhausted. Or they're exhausted. Like, pins are also exhaustion. Like, if you yeah. do a sprint move, there's a chance that you just get tired, which makes it real hard to fight when you're tired. Yeah. Like, everything on a mechanical standpoint, on the surface level, is abstracted. Mm-hmm. Certainly. However... It, it It's abstracted in such a way that if you delve even just a millimeter deeper, every choice and every decision makes sense as to why that mechanic is the way that it is. And I think for me, that definitely conveys that the real sense of this is like an actual battle. Like these people are, are actually dying. These, these orcs yeah. are actually getting cut down. Or like your, your chariots are super fast. So if yeah. they do a run order... They can, instead of when the next turn starts, losing their die, they can keep that run there and then go before anybody else gets to go. They just, like, sprint into my lines on turn two. Because it's cavalry. Yeah, they're, they're speedy boys. 
Yeah. It's it's great. I love it. I, I don't know if it's going to replace Sigmar for me. I don't think it can. I don't think but that it can. But they scratch either. very different itches. And I didn't think they would. But the gameplay is so different. They're they're not... If I want to, if I want to play Sigmar, a game of Warlords of Erewhon will not make me feel fulfilled. Like, sure. it won't, sure. they, they won't scratch the same itch. Which I, I enjoy. Like, 45 bucks, I now have a completely different game system to play with minis I already own that feels different. It's it's great, Charlie. What do you think? Uh, because <laughs> well, you're not a tradi- you're not a miniatures player, like even in the slightest. Like you showed some interest in the Batman miniatures game when we talked about it a couple of couple of uh, months ago. But you know what? You know what? I'll say this. Uh, I just got a copy of Gloomhaven in yeah. the mail, so I don't know where this fits into what we're talking about. Oh, Probably on that only note, tertiary. Um, either Daedalus Productions or. Um, Broken Token, I think, make um, uh, trays and stuff to help organize that box better. Oh, yeah. Daedalus. Buy okay. them. Worth it? Yep. Oh, Buy okay. it. I, I picked up the Daedalus one. It makes finding what you need so much quicker. Like, previously, the same mission took, like, 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you get all put together and sort it out, it's like, and you that token, and that token, and that token, and we're good. Let's do it. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to keep that in mind. I don't know. I guess, though... Uh... Big part why I never play the miniatures game is I think you just need to have that group of people around. There's certainly lifestyle games, yeah. But uh, Warlords of Erewhon doesn't necessarily need, need that. Because uh, you don't need so much. Like our list was, I had two ten man squads, two six man squads, and a couple of heroes. For me, I had uh, two squads of eight, a boar rider unit of, of five, and then two chariots. And a ten dollar dinosaur I got at Walmart. Whereas, like conversely, my um my Sigmar Slanesh army is there's uh, like two hundred models. Yeah, it's like a thir- two thirty demonette blobs, a twenty demonette blob, twenty cavalry, um six fiends, four chariots. Yeah. yeah, like way different scale, way easier to get into. Yeah, I really just I I can't comment on it positively or negatively because it's a it's a product this. that's outside of my periphery, you know. Sure. So how dare you not make a comment something you have no experience with? Oh man, what what <laughs> what? <laughs> make I'm completely unfounded statements, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this: sure, what sure. would what would it take? This will be our our final thought here. Final uh, thoughts. What would it take to get you to run a demo or to participate in a demo of Warlords of Erewhon? A, a, f- a free couple of hours. Yeah. That's all. Sure. That's all it would take. So you'll never have a demo. <laughs> so I, I do have I to say, joke coming. Um, <laughs> the the smaller size is going to be a problem for me. Smaller because size because I, as you know, buy everything. Do you I don't buy, have everything to buy? I buy all the things. Do and I was at our, our friendly local game store. Yesterday. Oh, really? Wait, before you go into that, I want to say that in addition to the different troops, gnomes, trolls. Uh, uh, elves, you know, orcs, all that stuff. Rainbows and balloons. Rainbows and balloons. You can also have monsters, and there's a whole like five page list of the different type of monsters you can have. You can have dinosaurs, manticores, banshees, uh, uh, wraiths, giant snakes, giant spiders. Like, you go to Toys R Us, you see a plastic model that can be a monster. Sam, continue. <laughs> so I was at a lo- little friendly local game store, and I'm staring at the GW wall, going, "Huh, I could buy like these two boxes and have a barbarian army for." Erewhon. Ah. And I went, oh, God, no. And I put them away. <laughs> Quietly walked away from that corner because this is going to be a problem. Because, um, like, the, the Stormcast Eternals, uh-huh. big old boys, nobody's playing Olympians right now. 
Ooh. But there's an expansion pack for one of the different um, chapters, I guess, of Stormcast, uh-huh. where they have, like, round gladiator-style shields and stuff. I'm like, I can make giant Olympian dudes. Is that a Forge World? No, it's a plastic kit. kit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this might be dangerous. I need to not like this game. But <laughs> well, I already failed that. <laughs> all right, so bring, play, pass, recommend. Sam. Uh, so with me, is it's the scale's a little weird. Sure. It's kind of hard to just bring... Um, if I have a group, yes, bring, um, I'll definitely sell, try to sell people on it. Mm-hmm. Definitely play. But the, the scale of what I bring this box to the store is a little bit different. Not entirely certain how. So recommend. Duh. The I, other option. All of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, I think that it'll be, I think it'll be a recommend as well. Um, I, I think that it is just outside of the entry level wheelhouse to grab somebody off the street and say, Hey, play this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but if there is somebody who is price point, it's fine. Yes. Complexity. It's a little weird. Like I think Sigmar is easier to teach. It's a little medium, but it's a little expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Sigmar is, uh, medium. This one's a little bit medium heavy as a skosh, but just because the the pins themselves make things a little more complicated. Yeah. Uh, And it's not even so much as the rule set, but the, the tactility, in the mindset that you have to get into when you play it. That being said, recommend. Certainly, this one's a lot of fun. Uh, we have a set game day that we're playing. It's We're going to be playing, like, literally every Friday night up until we finish up our league or whatever. Nice. Uh, really excited for this one. And I think that puts us at time. Yeah, look at that. Man. Good to be back. No. Be... No, it what? doesn't. No, it doesn't. Oh, I mean. It doesn't. <laughs> Do we not? No, because we started at 11.05. That's 30 minutes after break. We got 10 You're minutes. You're not wrong, <laughs> but we <laughs> have 10 minutes. <laughs> we got 10 minutes. All right. Well, let's keep it going then here. Uh, Charlie. Ugh. What do you got? What do you got on I mean, deck What can here? I squeeze into 10 minutes? Yeah. Uh, Chronicles of Crime? Yeah. Yeah, you reckon you could do that one? I guess so. I'll give you the, the quick overview. Yeah. Basically, it's a mystery solve the crime game. I already, not what I wanted it to be. You, you want I want to be a mafia boss or something. Looks, <laughs> looks. When you look at it, it kind of has a, the uh, unusual suspects look, with just a lot of cards with a lot of people's faces on them. A little cartoony, uh, a little bit. Uh, but they made it so that that big stack of characters can kind of be used in different scenarios, like who killed Grandma, Warbucks, you know, or why was this lady found dead in a park, you know? Or who uh, bribed called just to get their students? In. Takes place in <laughs> London. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm trying to topical. Good job. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. I just dated our show. No. <laughs> but basically, you get a scenario. Uh, it's it's very QR code uh, focused. This was, I think, the thing that really I was interested in because that's the constant debate is, you know, should we be bringing our phones into our, our games? Um, and I think this one was kind of a solid everyone agrees. Yep. If you're going to do it, do it like this. Um, Basically, as you're trying to solve the case, the way the main mechanic in the game works is it's like you click a location with your phone and your phone knows, okay, well, now you're in, you know, Hyde Park. And then you can search, which is then at that point, this is where that they call it VR-ish, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't have the VR thing. I don't know how important it really is to have it. I don't know, maybe it makes it look a bit easier. But basically when you're like searching a crime scene, you just hold your phone up and in like 360, you can look around basically visualize clues like so it's, a, it's a photosphere base exactly yes yes i didn't know that word but that's exactly what it sounds like i assume oh there's ash on the ground and i see a fingerprint in it and there's literally a card somewhere in clues that you can scan that says like fingerprints 
And if it's right, if it connects to like what you see in the crime scene, it goes boom. You can add that to your sort of tableau of things that you can um, refer back to, especially when you meet people. The people just like the little clues go onto your card like, oh, I met Billy and he knew the person that died. Billy, what do you know about this ash and why is it all over your shirt? You know, it's just a series of like QR coding things back and forth and sort of explaining the story out loud to the people that are playing. And you kind of together put your heads together to Break down what you think happened, and then once you think you solved the case, because it's time-based, you only get so much time um, to solve it, and uh, you know, uh, uh, it, every action you take, so everything you scan takes away from that time. Every time you change locations, it takes a lot of time. But once you think you've solved it, you go back to the uh, sort of the Scotland Yard, and you answer a series of questions, and then it scores you on how well plus time how much time it took you that you did on the case where you solved it or not. Awesome. Honestly, it's great. The main reason I bought it is because they said it's like the best husband, wife cooperative game ever. It's like, you're playing, you're playing a episode of law and order. So I I know we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but based on what you're describing, would this have just been better without the physical components? Um, you know, I like the tech, I guess is how you'd say it about being able to move the cards around something very simple like someone might mention a character and it'll say like this person and it always tells you like character number 37 you pull him out but you don't know where that person is so you kind of have him sitting in the middle and you're trying to figure out where this important person is based on other things you unlock in the game so yeah could it be a video game sure but I gotta be honest I think it's perfect like they okay. kind of nailed it the only thing I don't like is so the, the card com- the physical component doesn't feel unnecessary you literally feel like you know how when you see in like crime shows they're moving things around and putting little yarns okay you okay, literally no, no, feel like, like right, you're doing it's awesome like they did a great job uh, so me and Chrissy we just did the intro one and like the first of a three parter last night can't wait to do another one so basically I, they they use the physical. They keep track of your notes, but then the yeah, the, the phone is your exploration. Yeah, I just the only okay. thing I wish yes. the only thing I wish is I wish the phone and maybe they did this on purpose would literally just speak out loud what the characters are saying. So there's there was a thought behind that. Um, uh, voice uh, actors are expensive. Well, voice actors are expensive, or if plus, they're not, they're crap. The game as is is pretty language independent. Yes, right. So, so maybe they can ship why. this to wherever they want to. Yeah, I could just, see that. Just hire a translator. All right. But yeah, I would say recommend. Awesome. Nice. I'm interested in that. That sounds I'd like it. a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. All right, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Game State. Sam, sign us off. Uh, what? Do I say thanks? Hey, b- bye, everybody. Bye. bye. Sorry, Bulbasaur, the bitch.